Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today I'm encouraged to be joined by Bob Lapine, who is the author of a great book, Perfectly in Time for Christmas. It's called The Four Emotions for Christmas. It's a great resource, especially when we consider all the challenges that we face going into this holiday season. It's not always joy and pomp and circumstance. There's often a conflicting amount of emotions that we feel throughout this holiday season. And it's a real privilege to have Bob with us. Thank you so much for being a part of the Many Voices for that one message. Adam, it is great to be with you. I've looked forward to this and glad we were able to connect. Why don't you get started by telling us a little bit about yourself? I know that you don't have much history at all with radio, so this is probably all very, very new to you. Uh, so being that this is the first interview you've ever done on the on, on the radio, why don't you give us a little bit of a background of who you are and, and what our listeners should, uh, should know about you? Well, without going into too, too much detail, I grew up with a transistor radio under my pillow at night when my parents had told me to go to bed. But I, I was listening to pop music in the 60s, and <laughs> uh, and, and I, when I, I would wake up listening to the radio in the morning and going, these people are playing records and having a party. I want to do this for a living. And so I studied radio and television at the University of Tulsa. I had planned to go to law school, but I took a summer job at a radio station and never looked back had a had a was enjoying what i was doing eventually transitioned into christian radio that's a whole uh, another story maybe for another day but um for the last 28 years i worked with a ministry called family life as the co-host of a radio program called family life today with dennis rainey uh did that for that long period of time have also been involved with alistair begg's ministry truth for life and um, alongside of all of that, I helped plant a church uh, here in Little Rock about 15 years ago now, and I've been the, the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock over the last 15 years. So I don't have many hobbies. <laughs> I just stay busy with, the, with what life has brought my way, and I'm thrilled for all of that. So I stand corrected. This isn't your first interview. You, you're a pretty big, you're a professional at this. But uh, Except usually I'm on your side of the microphone asking the questions instead of answering them. So we'll see how I do on this on this side here. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool to be the person that is having to answer the questions in this sort of setting. And uh, to do that, I mean, you've written this amazing book that's perfect in time for Christmas, for this holiday season. Um, you're, as a pastor, as someone who's dealt with a lot of these issues on the radio and interviewing people, I'm sure your understanding of the Christmas season and its complexities, but also its opportunities. There's a lot to, to be said about Christmas. is a, a holiday where we can proclaim Christ, but also one that we have to be very cautious and sensitive in with people who are dealing with a whole a whole list of issues. Yeah, th there's no time of the year uh, other than Christmas when you walk through the malls and hear things like God and sinners reconciled on the <laughs> on the PA system, and and it's a time when you can not only say Merry Christmas to people, but you have an opportunity to talk about the reason for the season, to invite people to come to church. People who are occasional churchgoers, uh, if they're going to come, Christmas and Easter are the Sundays when they are likely to be there or the Christmas Eve service at your church. So I think we have a great opportunity during Christmas to be intentional and to be evangelistic in a way that is maybe less intimidating or less threatening than it is other parts of the year. And so writing this book, The Four Emotions of Christmas, what I had in mind was that the people in our church would get 10 copies of this. They would think of 10 people they know who aren't going to church. 
They would make a plate of cookies for them, give them a copy of the book, and invite them to the Christmas Eve service at our church. And maybe we would see at church some people we've never seen before, people who are intrigued uh, and who read the message of the gospel. This is a short book, as you know. It's 60 pages long. It's written with a person who is not a regular churchgoer in mind and written to say, I know what you want from Christmas. You want peace and love and joy. I know you're probably experiencing other things. Let's talk about why that is, and let's talk about how you find joy in the Christmas season. It certainly is a season where we have the opportunity to talk openly about our faith, as you mentioned, and to share that. It's an opportunity we do not want to pass up, but there is also right. a little level of intimidation of actually in, inviting and kind of bringing in your relationships into your faith, into your church. Uh, you need a little bit of a help, and this book is a resource for that. It's, it's not a tract in that context. It's actually a really well-written book, but it's and it's one that would be intriguing to a lot of our friends and neighbors, but it's also a way for you to to offer something as a gift that would really bring them into the conversation about the true meaning of Christmas. Yeah, somebody gives you a, a book, and again, it's a small book, it's 60 pages, you can read it in about an hour, but when somebody gives you a book, you feel like they've given you something of substance, mm-hmm. that they've given you a gift rather than giving a tract, and I'm not against tracts, but oftentimes a tract can feel like uh, an advertising circular. This feels more like something that you can engage folks with. Folks are less likely to toss it in the in the trash because it's a book. It's You don't just throw books away. You keep them around or you re-gift them to somebody. Um, and it's, it's written, hopefully, in an engaging style so that if somebody opens the first few pages, they go, oh, I, I can relate to this. I'm interested in this. And uh, hopefully we'll get all the way through to the end where they hear the gospel message clearly presented. Uh, so you're right. It's not a tract. Maybe it's a 60-page tract uh, <laughs> with with an attractive cover on it and something we hope that, that folks will use during the Christmas season. I think it's much more than a tract because I think it's valuable even to uh, our audience, something to read and think about the person on the other end that they're trying to witness to. Because when you talk about the emotions of Christmas, it's very easy for us to assume that everyone's on our wavelength and feeling this sort of pomp and circumstance of the season that we might feel. But the truth is, people have a whole a whole series of emotions they go through during the holiday season. That's the foundation of this book. Yeah, starting from the first Sunday in Advent up to December 25th, our, our schedules are more packed than ever. Um, our expectations about what life is going to be like, are, we've got a lot loaded in. We have a lot of melancholy. We've got memories. There's sentiment from our childhood, either good or bad, that we experienced growing up. And so we come into the Christmas season with a lot of um, expectations, a lot of hopes, a lot of goals. And oftentimes we get in the middle of it and we go, I'm overwhelmed. I'm sad. I'm stressed out. I'm not sure why. I thought Christmas was going to be magical, and and here I am feeling uh, depressed in the middle of the Christmas season. That's one of the things I wanted to try to speak to in this book. Hmm. You're talking about the first chapter here is disappointment. Um, I think a lot of 
unrealistic expectations come with the weight of Christmas. And you talk about that a little bit. The idea of trying to make everything perfect and beautiful and bright. We forget from year to year that things really aren't as tinsel town as they were. You know, our memories are far better at editing out the negative from last year than they are uh, going into this year. There's a lot that goes into that that lead us to feeling disappointed during the holiday season. Well, most of us during childhood, we're taught to expect magic from Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are flying reindeer involved. There are snowmen who come to life. I mean, this is this is the picture we get. And so we head into this season thinking, could it be real that that we would experience the magic and the delight and the wonder and the the, the mystery of it all? And and during the Christmas season, maybe we get a gift that we'd been expecting, and so there's that we're we're happy with that. Now, now wait, now now that you're an adult, you have all of these preloaded memories of this is what was special for me. Can it still be true as an adult? And so you're right. The expectations, whether whether they're front of mind or not, whether we're actually um, thinking about this on the front end or not, uh, we do have a lot of subtle expectations that we carry in that somehow the month of December is going to produce in me wonder and delight and joy and happiness. And then we find ourselves disappointed when we get to December 19th and we go, where's, where is what I've been longing for? Why, why am I not experiencing it here at the Christmas season? Yeah. I think as well, it's trying to keep up the sort of spirit yourself and trying to make it exciting yes. and doing all of this to, to build that excitement in other people and other people don't react the same way that we react. There's a lot of conflict there where we're trying to hold on to the nostalgia of our childhood memories in some ways and pass that on to the next generation. And they don't take it as seriously as we took it. You know, video games are far more exciting than the block toys that we played with. So it's a challenge to have that sort of sentiment and that mentality and unrealistic expectations that aren't going to be fulfilled during the holiday season. Well, and I remember um, as a child opening gifts on Christmas that I had been hoping for and dreaming of and thinking, when I get this toy, this toy is going to produce a level of, of joy and delight that I have never known before. And I would get it and I'd be excited and I'd play with it for 45 minutes on Christmas. And then I was like, well, that didn't deliver. So it's an unfulfilled, unmet expectation that even as a child, I'm I'm learning, I thought this would give me something more than it's giving me. And honestly, that that can be helpful because we begin to recognize that joy is not found in stuff or in sentiment or in the holidays. So we start to look, where is real joy found? And that's what the message of Christmas ultimately is all about, where real joy is found. Mm One of the things I think that we do that gets in the way in Christmas is over-planning, over-promising, and under-delivering. You talk about the whole idea of stress. That's another emotion of Christmas. It is so full. There's so many things you have to do, and especially as a parent, as a mother, really the (laughs) burden rests on the mothers in the homes. Uh, This is a season that can be chaotic. Yeah. And, and your listeners are probably exhausted just hearing us talk about right. this, but, but your calendar in December is more crowded than any other time of the year. There are uh, required activities, things that during the year, whether it's the choral concert that's going to happen, it's the office Christmas party that's taking place. 
And then there are the optional activities that are a part of the delight of the season. So when are we going to make cookies together? Or when are we going to uh, go shopping for presents? There's there's the whole list of objectives we're trying to accomplish during the Christmas season. And it's more crowded. And as a result, it's more stressful. In fact, one of the things I, I suggest to people in the book is really before the season is upon us, you need to ask yourself the question, when it gets to Christmas Day, what's going to matter most to me? Because there are some things on the schedule that you'd look at and go, if we don't accomplish that, okay, maybe I'll be sad, but it's not ultimately going to matter. And and this is where I tell listeners who are believers, I, I really think if we will prioritize spiritual growth, spiritual issues during the season, I, I think if we are intentional about evangelism, I mean, imagine getting to Christmas and seeing three people who are friends of yours who have never been to church showing up at your Christmas Eve service. Talk about joy to the world. That's where that's where we're going to have real joy. And so, but but to do that, we've got to be intentional on the front end. And say, I'm I'm going to be investing in these relationships. And if we have to miss out on watching Elf one Friday night so that we can we can do these other things. Let's let's make our spiritual priorities the real priorities. Let's really do keep Jesus at the center of and as the reason for the season. I think now with the digital age and with social media, the pressure to measure up to all the expectations is so much higher. Uh, the stress of it all, trying to do everything because you're seeing what other people are doing and you're like, oh, I can't. The fear of missing out, right? The right. idea that right. you're not doing enough, uh, that you're not, your schedule isn't full enough when it seems like everyone else seems to be happy. They're doing everything. Of course, they're only showing you the picture where they actually got all the kids to smile. Right. Uh, the truth is that this is a stressful season no matter what it looks like on social media. It is, and and that's where I think we have to calibrate it correctly on the front end, and we have to be ready to say no to some of the things that we feel maybe some even some obligation to. Now you got you got to weigh that out. So if there's something you're really obligated to, then you live up to your obligations. But mm. at some point, you can say no to a party you're invited to, or you can bow out of some other activity that you just say, I can't leave room for this in my schedule. And in fact, I suggest in the book that at the beginning of the month, you map out for yourself blocks of time that are going to be times of personal rest and and refreshment and just times when you don't have anything that you're feeling pressed to do, where you can take a nap or where you can get alone and read and do something to recharge your own batteries. We need Sabbaths mm -hmm. during the Christmas season and if our schedule is so jam-packed that we're not getting any rest, then no wonder there's no peace on earth when we get to the Christmas uh, celebration. Yeah. I, I think of the Christmas season as a season of rest. Uh, there, is a, there is a little bit of uh, idea of rest within the season, but I think of like the season leading up to Easter as a more of an intense season where we talk about fasting and spiritual disciplines. Uh, and yet the irony is there's far more that can be done during the season leading up to Easter because people aren't so busy and the season right. that they should be resting in Christmas time is, is chaotic. Really, I think what you're saying is to prioritize the things that matter most. And obviously being a part of a church, being part of a Christian community, uh, maybe churches shouldn't over overdo their scheduling as well, but making sure that at least Sabbath and rest and Sundays are a high priority on that uh, to-do list. 
Yeah, as a pastor, I want to make sure that this the season of Christmas is spiritually meaningful for for my people. I want them to be engaged, and I want their hearts to be stirred, and I want their heads to be uh, moved as well. But I do want to be sure we're guarding and not expecting that this season just adds additional pressure to an already calendar-filled season. So we have limited strategic events and activities, and we try to make sure that at least one of those activities, in our case, our Christmas Eve service, has a very evangelistic focus to it. We want our friends, our members, inviting their friends to join them on Christmas Eve at church. People, again, people who don't normally go to church think to themselves, well, maybe it'd be a good idea to go to church on Christmas Eve. So it's an easy invitation, an easy ask, and we try to build a service that a person who's not used to going to church regularly will come in and feel comfortable and familiar and will hear the gospel clearly. Hmm. Now, you have another stress, uh, another emotion here that I think is really important, one that I think in, even in my ministry I overlooked quite a bit um, throughout my early years. It's the issue of sadness. Yeah. It's a season of joy, and you can kind of get caught up in the excitement of Christmas and lose the fact that there are people all around you that Christmas has a completely different meaning to them. Well, and, and these emotions all overlap. They're not in silos. Mm-hmm. So when we have, when we're stressed out and we have unmet expectations, we shouldn't be surprised that there will be some level of sadness, <clears throat> excuse me, some level of sadness in what our experience is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's real for a lot of people. Plus, a lot of people head into this particular season full of memories from the past, but this year, some of those important people who were a part of the past aren't with them, or their their life circumstances have changed, or uh, family structures, they're, they're alienated from somebody who they used to be close to. So th- there can be a lot of cause for lament, for sadness, for sorrow during the Christmas season. And it takes us by surprise because all we're hearing around us is joy to the world. And we're thinking, I remember when Christmas was magical, and now it's not. And, and that's where, again, I think we have to uh, be intentional and alert and be on guard against how, how sadness can, can play into all of this for us. And ultimately, we have to know how to counsel our own soul in the midst of sadness and how to point our hearts in the right direction. And uh, I think of David in Psalm 42 when he was downcast. Why is my soul downcast? And he was counseling his own soul on what to do. Put your hope in God. Uh, that's where you'll find relief for the sadness that you're experiencing. And so I'm, I'm hoping that people who are experiencing sadness during the holiday season will get, get their hearts pointed in the right direction and find there is joy, even in the midst of sadness. We do grieve, but we don't grieve as those without hope, right? So mm. hopefully uh, in hearing the gospel, they can find the source of real joy in the midst of the sorrow they're experiencing. We started doing the uh, grief share program, the surviving the holidays in our church a few years ago because there was such a, a growing need for realizing the people that are going into this season with a great burden of sorrow. And I had no clue how to even right. have a conversation with somebody who had lost somebody. When you approach them with this joyful experience, when they're going through the shadows of 
of death. It's it's really overwhelming emotions. It's probably why a lot of people don't want to go to that Christmas program because they can't be around all of that excitement and joy and singing and gladness when their pain is so real and heavy. Yeah, and and I think we have to uh, we have to be wise to take our own emotional temperature. And again, you might have to to bow out. I would say to folks who are experiencing grief and sadness, this is where the the power and the importance of relationship and community is so significant. If you are alienated, if you're isolated during the Christmas season, if you're not with other people, uh, you will experience some of that sense of isolation and and the sadness that comes with it. Uh, I encourage people in the book, uh, if, if that's a part of your reality, find things you can volunteer for, excuse me, during the Christmas season. Find things you can volunteer for where you can get in and serve others, and you will find joy in serving others during the season. Hmm. What advice do you have for our listeners who maybe know somebody, or maybe they hadn't? It's not they haven't thought actually through who might be going through sadness during the Christmas season. What they, should they be looking for in others to to make that observation, and maybe even give them a copy of this book that yeah. can help them at least bridge that road to the conversation. Well, I, I think you need to think about the people around you. Think What, what do you know about their lives and mm-hmm. what could be sources of sadness for them in the holiday season? So we have a friend in our neighborhood who um, uh, 10 years ago, she lost her husband. You have to believe that every Christmas season, there is sadness sprinkled in because she had many years of joyful holiday celebrations with her husband at her side. Now she's heading into the holidays without him. And and just us knowing that puts us on alert to say, okay, how can we be a friend to her? How can we love her? How can we serve her? How can we care for her and, and bring some joy to her during this season? We all know people who, whether it's job-related stress or issues with the children or loss and grief, uh, relationships that are hard, and I would say this, as you have conversations with people during the Christmas season, it's an easy question to ask, to say to somebody who you might be having lunch with, is Christmas a hard season for you? Uh, I know for a lot of people it is. Is it something you struggle, you struggle with any kind of sadness during Christmas? And just see what kind of response you get. And if you're talking to somebody who doesn't go to church regularly, maybe they're not a believer and they open up to you, it never hurts at the end of that to say, would you mind, could I pray for you just right now? Just pray a short prayer for what you're going through. Take a minute and pray for them. And then I, I know friends, people in our congregation who are keeping copies of the four emotions of Christmas in their purse or in their glove compartment, just so they have a handy reference and say, I've got a book I'd like to give you. This mm. might help you during the season. Um, that's my hope. In fact, I love the fact that the publisher of the book is making these books available to churches. When you buy a, a quantity of the books, you can buy them for $1.50, $2 a book so that they're designed to be gospel giveaways. Mm-hmm. We, we've said to people, we want Christmas to be a super spreader event. Uh, and, and so this is a tool to try to help make it a super spreader event, right? Mm-hmm. We have another chapter here on joy, which we always equate with the the story of Christmas. And joy is infectious, talking about a super spreader event, right? Joy is infectious. And yet, even joy can be an emotion that leads us off task as to seeing the true meaning of the season. Yeah, joy is infectious. And here's the thing, if we're thinking joy comes from um, holiday traditions, 
No, I, I would say it this way. In fact, I, I mentioned in the book that I had a British British friend years ago who said to me, um, the Brits used to have an expression where they would say, may the haps be with you. And that was an expression to say, may things go your way, may good things happen. So the haps was talking about your what happens in your life. And yet we we connect the word happiness with happenings, though there's a same root word there, right? And And our happiness is often connected to what's happening in our lives, our circumstances. Joy is something deeper and more transcendent. In fact, we can, in the midst of profound sorrow, still know joy if we know Christ. And so this last chapter in the book is designed to say, uh, the emotion of joy, which is the one for which your soul is longing, um, and you're wondering, why am I not feeling it? It's because you're looking for something to generate joy that's never going to generate joy. The only thing that will really generate real joy in your life is to be reconciled with the God who made you. And the, the story of Christmas is the story of the rescue mission where God looked at our plight and said, the only way for these people to be reconciled is for my son to come and to live a perfect life and die a death in their place to so that God and sinners can be reconciled. That's what brings joy to the world. So that's where I'm, that's where I'm pointing people here in the book. Yeah, I love how you do that. You point them to the gospel. Actually, the the gospel invitation is so clear and concise, and that's something that we all need to hear. Something we do on the broadcast all of the time is remind our listeners that they need to hear the gospel just as much as their friends and family and neighbors need to hear the gospel. It's a great reminder to keep the main thing, the main thing of this season, that it is about Christ and the gift of His sacrifice to come into this world. And with that, find our joy and satisfaction in the cross and the empty tomb. This is the gospel message that we should be exuding in such a way, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, that other people, I will substitute hope for joy, that they might see the hope that we have or the joy that we have in Christ and ask us to give an answer for it. This is what we want to be able to do in this season is spread the infection of joy that comes from Christ. Well, I'm I'm fist bumping with you, right? A virtu- virtual fist bump on that one because I I agree a hundred percent. I tell people at our church regularly we have to daily uh, repent and daily rebelieve the gospel. Martin mm. Luther is I, I've never found this in the primary sources, but somebody quoted Martin Luther as having said, "Every week I preach the gospel because every week I forget it." Mm-hmm. And, and Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, this last letter, writing to a pastor, he says, remember Jesus Christ. And then he goes through and outlines the gospel. You'd think, well, he's a pastor. He's not going to forget Jesus. No, that's that's a, an issue for all of us. And that's why we need to rehear the gospel and rebelieve the gospel regularly. I'm right there with you. And then we need to keep it on our lips, not just in our heart, but on our lips and be sharing the gospel regularly with others. Yeah, and it won't be readily on our lips if it's not at the forefront of our eyes and in our ears and in the the, the front of our brain. You know, we have to have that something worth thinking about. It's something we always encourage. This is not just a book to give out to uh, the, your friends and your, your family, your neighbors. This is a book for our listeners to read themselves so that the reminder of this season is fresh on their heart and fresh on the tip of their tongue. Yeah, and and that's my hope and my goal. And in working with Ten Publishing, the the, the company that put this together, uh, we're really I'm as excited about the strategy as I am about the book. Mm-hmm. Just think, if every one of your listeners would think of five or ten people that they could reach out to during the holiday season, uh, 
and in a very comfortable, non-threatening way, say, I made you some cookies. I've got a book for you. We'd love to have you as our guest at our Christmas Eve service. If if you invited 10 and one of them showed up, well, if everybody did that, Christmas Eve would be a whole different service and people might come to know Christ at Christmas. Let's make that our goal this year. Mm. What a great opportunity. Uh, one that we should not pass up, especially during this season uh, where we can talk so openly about our faith and people will, will stop and listen and yeah. maybe even pick up a copy of this book and, and read it for themselves. With that in goal, with that in mind, could I ask you to pray for our listeners and encouraging them with knowing that we are asking God to give us help in being good, effective witnesses for the gospel? Yeah, I'd love to do that. Our Father, we uh, come grateful for the message of Christmas and for what Christmas means to us as we reflect on the reality of the gospel, that that uh, light came into darkness and that light penetrated darkness. And in our own souls, your light has penetrated the darkness in our own hearts. So we rejoice and give thanks for what Christmas means to each one of us. And Lord, we pray that you would stir in us in a fresh way, a longing, a desire to be the ambassadors you've called us to be, to take the good news of Christ to our friends, our family members, our neighbors, people we know who are lost. And Lord, would you prepare the soil even now so that when we bring the seed, the soil is ready to take root and to sprout, and we might see 30 or 60 or 100 fold from this. Lord, we just pray for spiritual fruit during the Christmas season. Pray for your name to be exalted and glorified. I pray that this tool would be an effective way to see uh, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people brought into the kingdom this Christmas. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been talking with Bob Lapine, who is the author of The Four Emotions of Christmas, not only a great resource for us to read, but a great way to invite our friends to know the true meaning of Christmas and to share this book. Buy it in bulk, pass it around, and share it with your friends as a resource so that they might know the gospel and do so with, as Bob said, a plate of cookies, as well as an invitation to come and join you, whether it's at your own table or at church, as an opportunity to hear the gospel once again. And Bob, it is a true privilege to have you with us. It was a real joy to to share this story with you and to hear uh, your presentation of the gospel. Thank you so much for being one of the many voices for that one message. Adam, bless you. Thank you for the great work of Songtime, and uh, uh, just pray your God's blessing on on the ministry and on the work that you're doing.